everybody. I'm feeling super geeked that I can even stand up here today and see all of your faces and be able to even share anything. Um, God has been so good. If I can just have everybody stand up, I'm going to pray myself in as well as you for what he has tonight. Heavenly Father, I just come full of joy. Father, being in the presence of so many people that have affected my life. Father, right now, I thank you for the blessings that you are going to bring through the word that you are bringing forward. Father, I ask that you clear my mind of any of me, Father, that you may be able to say what it is that you need to say, Father. Father, let the hearts and the minds of each and every person here be open to your presence, to your word, to your authority, to all in which you have in which to change our hearts, our spirit, even the saving of our soul. Father, I'm asking that you produce a new thing in this place tonight. Father, I ask that you just bring us all into a place of meekness tonight that we would drop down all in which we think we know, all in which we think we are, and be able to be in awe of you, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for the beauty in who you are. I thank you that it is still possible to feel the beauty in who you are, even in this world, Lord, this fallen world, that we will have a moment to be with you in your presence and hear what it is that you have to say. Hear what it is that you are producing. Hear what it is that makes it possible for us to even have eternity, Father. We just lift you up tonight. We say thank you and we glorify your name, Lord. We lift you up because you are king of our lives, Father. We lift you up because you have the power to change all things. We lift you up because we are nothing, Father, for you are greater. You are our creator. So, Father, teach us how to function. Father, show us your will. Father, create a new beginning for people who may have been in a place where they couldn't see you. Father, give us a new way to worship, Father, one that goes beyond our flesh and into eternity, Lord. We just thank you right now. We lift our hands up to you today. We lift our hands up to you. We surrender all. We surrender all right now in this place. We let you in. Come into our minds. Come into our hearts today, Father. Father, give us strength where we are weak, Father. I come against any thoughts of confusion, any thoughts of depression, any thoughts of anguish that are trying to tear the body apart. Any lustful thoughts that may be pushing through, Father, let it all disperse and come out of this place, Father. For we are calling this ministry into a pure place in you. That we may hear and feel your presence in all things. I just thank you right now that you have the power to release us and give us the freedom that is necessary to truly be and live in your glory. So, Father, we say hallelujah. We say hallelujah, and we thank you in this place right now. We thank you in this place right now. You get all the glory. Hallelujah. We lift up your name. Hallelujah. 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 
in this place. Father, before I come forth, Lord, I just thank you right now for your presence, your love, the awe of you. Bring your encounter. Bring it hard and strong, Lord. Bring your encounter to the hearts of the people today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. As Pastor was uh, up here talking, I, I had so many thoughts about how when we do love, there, there is a, a sacrifice. It is a place where it's not about you. It's not about you at all. It's, it's not about your feelings. It's not about your thoughts, but it's an act of obedience. That's what makes it a choice. So we can be willing to receive the word as it is and obey, or we can feel, <laughs> we can think about ourselves, we can think about our feelings, we can protect ourselves, but is that of God? A lot of times what we think we want and how we want to love in our feelings is actually what produce a cycle of distress. A cycle of distress, how could that be? Y'all, this is not even in my teaching. I'm gonna tell you right now. But it's important that you know that in your feelings and what it is that you think you want is usually a creation of a mirage to get you emotionally disconnected from God. So once it catches you and you say, this is what I want, this is what I want to do, this is how I want to do it, this is, this is gonna make me feel real good. It's not really real. It's usually things that get you caught up in your thoughts. You are your thoughts. It, it makes you do things. But all of those things, if it's not under the obedience of God, it's an opportunity to cause you to turn and to go into wreckage. Simple example, Jesus fasting, Satan come and say, I'll give you everything, the whole kingdom. He was hungry, y'all. He was real hungry. Do you know what many of us would have did in that situation? Look, I'll give you everything right now if you would just bow down to me. Word, I've been waiting, because I'm real hungry. What you got? I knew somebody was going to take care of me. I don't know what God been doing all this time. Got me out here suffering, about to take me to the cross. That's how we act. Waiting for the next deal. Waiting for the next opportunity. Waiting for the next man. Waiting for the next job. 
that's going to be better than the last one I had because this boss is going to be different. Waiting for the next whatever it is to make you feel real good. <laughs> but how many people know that a lot of things that made you feel real good were a great disappointment? Great disappointment, like, why did I do this? What was I thinking? <laughs> but it felt good. God's trying to save us from that. He gives us simplicity in his word, which is why we deny our flesh, which is why we must understand that it's not about you. I could think about the days where I'm like, God, why am I so sick? I'm stuck in this bed. And I realized that he trusted me to be able to still have faith that I'll be healed. And to still know that under the conditions that I was still gonna obey whatever it is that he said. But here's the biggest test in that. Usually when you are in pain, hurting, not feeling good, you want relief, right? That's where the enemy comes. He knows you want relief. He knows you want relief. He come in there like, that's when he came to Jesus like, you hungry, that's your 40th day, man. I got this. But even in that, how much can you really take? This is why we must be strong. This is why we must lean on each other. This is why you are supposed to have such a tight-knit relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. This is why it says iron sharpens iron. To be sharpened, <laughs> that should hurt, right? It's a little bit of pressure. So with all of that, you're strengthened, you're strengthened, but in that strength, it's for your obedience. It's so you can pick up your cross, so you can press forward, so you can get to what's real. Not what you think it is, but his real promises. Yeah, that was out of nowhere. Excuse me, y'all, back to my notes. <laughs> but think about that, um, so, the title of my teaching today is called A Love Letter to the Believer. The foundation scripture is Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Tonight, I'm going to take you on one of my experiences with God. Many of us try to study the word and try to get in there and feel like, all right, how do I do this? How, what do I need to look at? Do I got all the right books? Do I got my resources? Do I have this? Do I have that? I am going to share a little bit of how I study as well as where it came from because it's not traditional at all. 
and I had so many of you ask me about it. So if I had to explain why did I start studying the way I study, um, most of y'all know about me, but it might be certain details you don't know. Oh, I want to welcome my Built to Worship students. I thank y'all for coming out. Shout out to BTW. <laughs> so growing up as a young lady in school, you have the things that you're good at and the things that you're not so good at. Well, my trouble was in reading comprehension. I would get my test scores back and they tell you the percentile you are in your city. In math, my percentile was 98. In reading comprehension, it was 30. I was in a city that wasn't well known for smart kids to begin with. So to be in the 30th percentile in the city that I came from, that said a lot. So coming through high school, I always was great at math, still had difficulty in um, reading comprehension, English, all of that, writing, all of that. That's just been my weakness. Got to college at Hampton University, and I'm with people from all over. They know how to do everything. I'm feeling insecure. I'm like, oh no, what I'm gonna do now? Well, I'm studying architecture. I'm gonna put this math to work. I was great at trigonometry. I got this. Until we had to do a lot of writing. A lot of writing. I, just as much writing as drawing. Till I had to study theory. And I'm like, what? They said 60% of your grade is you being able to participate in class by saying what you understood in that chapter. We dealt with social issues and everything else. So I, I would go home and I would struggle. I realized that my reading comprehension wasn't that great because when I would read, I wasn't that interested. So my eyes was glazing over words, but I wasn't connecting to them at all. But I wasn't interested because I didn't know what it all really meant because of the environment that I came out of. So my experience couldn't connect to the terms, it couldn't connect to the words, which means I don't know what this is. Now I just don't even care about it. So I said, I gotta do something, I gotta do something. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna fail out of, fail out of school, I can't go back to Newark, I, I, don't, I don't wanna end up in a whole lot of stuff, don't wanna end up dealing with what I came out of. It was a fight to come out of Newark, New Jersey. If you get out, you try to stay out. <laughs> so one day it came to me, find interest in what it is. So I said, let me ask questions while I read. So I started to read and I would say, well, what does that mean? So then I would go look that up. Then I would say, well, well, why is that? Then I would look that up. So I started to create bubble diagrams where I would read through one sentence and if I would hit a word that I didn't know what it was, I would take that word and find out about three or four things about it and then three or four things about that. This technique catapulted me in the architecture program. 
It changed my language. I knew new terms. I knew about more things. I understood more things. And now I was interested because now I know what it is. <laughs> changed the game. Theory books, they're stating their, their, their thoughts on philosophy of architecture. And man, I wish I knew the word back then because I really, ooh, yeah. Anyway, I realized that you can test what the book is saying. You can say, oh, well, I disagree. That's what they teach you in school. Do you disagree or do you agree? Well, when it comes to taking this, when I met teacher, I said, I want to learn more about the word of God. I said, I, I wanted to, to try something that I would do in college. So my approach was pretty much the same because I knew that that's what helped me as a person who was weak in reading comprehension. So I went to the word and the first, the first one I did was the love chapter at the time. And it worked out well, but when you go to the word, this is the difference between any other book that you will ever read. You gotta believe that is true. You have to decide beforehand that you accept that the word of God is Jesus. You have to want to know what his way is. You have to understand how timeless what you're about to read is. You have to know that there's something that he's trying to say to you through the word. So first you gotta accept all of those things before you start digging in, other than that, You'll take what you want, put back what you don't want. How many people have done that with the word of God? Just like, I'm gonna put that one back. I'm gonna take this one over here. So on and so forth. So this is what becomes the challenge to study, take it in, break it down, and then say, I accept it. Because that's the only way you're gonna apply it. So if we're supposed to walk like Christ, wouldn't we need to know his word? Wouldn't we need to understand his word? Wouldn't we need to eat it, accept it, take it, walk it the way we should? Exactly. So why Paul's letter, which is Philippians 1? I chose this chapter because this is when I begin to truly change at the time. This was 2017. When I began to study Philippians 1, it started to truly change my mind about how things should be, how we should love, how, what kind of feelings I'm actually supposed to have in the spirit, not the kind of feelings that I thought I had. So this is why I um, came to this letter. Al, if you would go to Philippians 1, verse 3. This is Philippians chapter 1 at verse 3. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. In every prayer of mine, I always make my entreaty and petition for you, all with joy, delight. I thank God, I thank my God for your fellowship, your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership in advancing the good news, the gospel, from the first day you heard it until now. And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. It is right and appropriate for me to have this confidence and feel this way about you all, because you have me in your heart, and I hold you in my heart as partakers and sharers, one and all, with me, of grace, God's unmerited favor and spiritual blessing. This is true both when I am shut up in prison and when I am out in the defense and confirmation of the good news, the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for and pursue you all with love in the tender mercy of Christ Jesus himself. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight, that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment, so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral difference and that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ, not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. Verse 11, may you abound in and be filled with the fruits of righteousness, of right standing with God and right doing, which come through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, to the honor and praise of God, that his glory may be both manifested and recognized. Thank you, Al. So this is the kind of depth of love that we should have with each other. But yet, this is, we normally struggle with that more with the brethren. At times we find ourselves in this deep emotional love and attachment to, to people who are not even in the same belief as you. You have that attachment but yet the ones that believe with you, you struggle okay. to love. And I, and I thought about this and wondered, why? Why is that? What, what is really happening that we're not aware of that the enemy is keeping us away from? Now we are called to love all. But this love and this love letter, 
that Paul gave is to his brethren that is exiled, meaning that they all in the same fight to claim Christ's name. They all are being persecuted. They all are going through the same thing, but they're looking to one another with excitement because they know who and what they stand for. Okay. They're in excitement. So this, this love that you have is really growing out of your love for him, for real. Not because we like doing this and we got this in common, but your love for him is so strong that you can see your brethren and say, we might be being persecuted, but Maranatha. <laughs> Glory to God. There should be a sense of attachment and excitement that goes along with that. But we tend to lean into this different kind of emotional love. This love that says, oh, I, I like this person, or I like that person, or we just get along better over here. And you start to get in that place that I was talking about earlier of, of comfort, what feels good, instead of the focus being on God. The focus got to be on him first. So I even, I even struggled with this because as my love grew more and more for God, and I begin to stand more and more for God. My relationships changed extremely. Yeah. And it, it hurt me pretty bad. You know, I was in expectation of it because the word said it would be so. But it was that moment where you wondered, am I loving? Well, when you are loving your God, doing the first commandment loving them with all your heart right. all your might everything that you have it'll show and unfortunately it will push some away it's not because you don't love them because you're excited for them to have the same thing you have that's what you want for them but not everybody's ready to hear you not everybody is ready to accept. So we call ourselves loving by dimming it down a little bit, right? Oh, you know, they like to do this, so I'm gonna just go ahead and do this with them. Oh, well, I, I, I wanna make sure that they, they feel comfortable. Oh, I wanna make sure that I can still win them by adjusting a little bit here. This is real. I mean, raise your hand if you had that struggle. I mean, we love some people that don't love God. <laughs> We're just, we just going we to say it plain out. So with that being the case, we wrestle more with that than we do wrestling with the fact that we don't love each other right here, believing the same thing. Where are we placing our emotions? Where are we placing our thoughts? I think there's a difference between the two because my thoughts of him 
is in love. It don't require a whole lot of emotions. But just that joy in who he is. So because I share that with you, I can't help that when I see you, I want to hug and be excited about what God is doing. I can't help that when I see, you know, Miss Didi, you know how we do, Miss Didi. You know how we do, Miss Didi. We can just look at each other and just, oh. this is the kind of love that we should have. But we tend to be a little bit more skeptical of the believer. Oh, those church folk. Oh, oh, they, those, this. Why aren't we pressing each other towards God? Why aren't we saying, oh, they're getting closer to God? That's wonderful. Let me get closer to them as they get closer to God because I'm trying to go too. This is, this is the state of mind that we should have. But then that's when you have to know that the enemy is working. When somebody's growing and you're like, mm. I don't know. That's keeping you from growing. What is that going to do for you? We all need to be fighting to grow higher, closer, and closer together. The further we go closer to God, it's going to make us closer overall. So that, that should be the goal. So this is why I love this letter. Because they conquered the very thing that we're conquering right now. I don't know about you, but I feel a change in the ministry. I feel it's growing closer. I think we've been through and seen a lot, been able to understand each other's stories, even by teaching on these Friday nights. Starting to share more of ourselves, starting to be a little bit more vulnerable about what's going on, starting to be honest about our mistakes, our mishaps, and where we're going wrong, and being honest about how much we really, really do just want God to be there with us too. Being honest that we all want to have a purpose. We do. So we must connect, keep each other encouraged in a certain level of excitement. So, Love with the unbeliever versus the believer. All right. I'm going to just go ahead and dig right in. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not make mismated alliances with them or come under a different yoke with them, inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership have right living and right standing with God with iniquity and lawlessness? Or how can light have fellowship with darkness? You can stop there. That should answer so much for people. So... I know, we can't forget that that's there because we live in a world that teaches that love is acceptance, right? So if we live in a world that teaches that love is acceptance, we are forgetting that love is patient, kind, all of the things in which we're supposed to have towards people 
So we come into these relationships and we say, oh, well, that's what you like to do? All right, well, I'll do that with you. Never sharing what it is that you like to do, which should be God, right? So I encourage you, when you are loving an unbeliever, the best way that you can love them is sharing exactly who you are. Sharing who you are. But the thing is, you have to become like Christ. You have to live <laughs> the consecrated life. You have to have that joy in which he brings because that's the only way you can convince someone to come with you. So now you don't have to be unequally yoked. But they can become just like him too. So we got to think about how we're operating this love thing because I feel like we're doing it all wrong. So you have to become in order to convince. Other than that, if you don't become, you will get consumed. You'll get eaten up, chewed, and tossed to the side. Yeah. Yeah. So when it says, do not unequally bound together with unbelievers, when I'm studying the word, I tend to talk as if I'm having a conversation with the word. I mean, the word is Jesus, right? So I become very conversational. So I'm going to read exactly what I write. I just said to teacher that I was going to touch on this on Friday as I do my teaching on Paul's letter of love. Now here we are at this scripture that directly addressed the very thing that was on my mind. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So to know that if you are unequally bound, you must first know who you are, where you stand, what you believe, and who you worship. Boldly walking in this will immediately set you apart and change your crowd. So I decided to look up bound, tied in bonds, under legal or moral obligation, inseparably connected with, devoted and attached to, obligated. I, I'm, I'm smiling right now because I think about how we make serious commitments to things outside of the kingdom and have a hard time committing <laughs> to the things that are of the kingdom. So that's just, that's just a side note. I want you to think about and um, as you're studying these things should come up in your mind what you what it makes you think of write that down because it's for you to see something so this states pretty clear that our relationships should be with those who are in belief that are consistent with our own we know unbelievers and even have connected with some but we must be careful that we do not become bound we are to be set apart for his use. There are very few scriptures. There are a few scriptures that come to mind when I think about this. All right. So go to 1 Corinthians 10, 21. First Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 21. You cannot drink the Lord's cup and the demon's cup. You cannot partake of the Lord's table 
and the demon's table. That's a hard word right there. <laughs> but it's real. Go to 2 John 1.10. John chapter 1 and verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, is disloyal to what Jesus Christ taught, do not receive him. Do not accept him. Do not welcome or admit him into your house or bid him Godspeed or give him any encouragement. That's a hard word, right? Is, I mean, is it me? That's not, the, that's not what the world is teaching us, is it? This is what the word of God is saying. So, but the thing is, when we disregard it to try to be comfortable, to kind of be friends with the world and try to do what we're taught at this day and age and this time, we open ourselves up to some dangers, spirits, things that take away what you need to actually have the oil to actually cast out a demon. Yeah, I just need to say it plain, okay? Stay with me. You do not want to be in a place where you are useless for God. You want to be useful. So you must protect his name, protect what you're carrying. Yes. Okay, another one. Amos 3.3. 3. Amos chapter 3 at verse 3. Do two walk together, except they make an appointment and have agreed? All right. So, I'm going to go back to what I stated in this study. So, what do you do when you are already bound? That's what I ask myself. When you have history with the person, when a person is even a relative, and the thing is, I, I'm saying this stuff out loud because I really want you to know that your study experience needs to be true. It needs to be one that really states right where you are. Like, these are my questions, God. This is, this is how I'm thinking. Show me how it is that I'm supposed to think. I need to say it so I can know exactly where I'm at with this so I can know where I need to go. This is where hard choices are made because it can ultimately stunt your growth in the spirit. Now, you see the question part was there and then there was the response. That's usually Holy Spirit speaking. And I'm writing, but when I go back and read, I can't believe that that was what was said. So you have to let him do what he do. It speaks about not making mismatch alliances. And these alliances shows that you must be in agreement with the behavior and thoughts of who you bound to. So you're, you're coming into agreement. This was a hard pill to swallow in my previous marriage. Although my ex-husband said he believed, many of his actions were opposite of the faith, as well as the blasphemous things that he would love to watch and feed his mind with. He had no love of the word, no love of the worship music, no love for me in a healthy spiritual sense. It was mismatch, which left us both in torment. I was in torment, 
because of his narcissistic ways with alcoholism that brought verbal abuse and vindication. He was in torment because he could not deal with my love for worship, my choices to honor the spirit of God, and the very sight of me being so committed to God and expectation for him to do the same. This was not feeling like a match made in heaven, and now I understand why. This word told me why. The righteousness and lawlessness connection. The word is speaking against this connection, but we are introduced to this in the world by what they call yin and yang. Y'all heard of yin and yang? Yeah, 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 yeah. The concept that having both brings balance to the universe, right? That's not biblical. That's, that's not biblical. So just know we're introduced to a lot of things. But if it don't line up to the word of God, just know that it's a part of this world that is there to distract you and keep you from the ways and the belief of God, which is why we have a hard time accepting the word. Right. The Lord says one should drive out the other, specifically light driving out darkness. I believe this is true because either darkness will have to become light or darkness will have to leave because it cannot bear light. Question is, how lit are we? That is the question. How lit are we? Okay. We get so discouraged when we turn people off that we pay no attention to the people we are attracting. So a lot of times we worry about the people who don't like us, but never really pay attention to the ones that are like, their lives are changing because of us. It, yeah, it, it's few. It's few. You know, I went from, what, 85 students to like 10? Yeah. Which is also why I love my students so much, because they are some of the very few. Where was I? Mm. 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 So we get so discouraged when we turn people off that we pay no attention to the people we are attracting, the ones who are longing to become light and come out of darkness. If we are somewhere in between, a little dim, we're never really causing anything to happen besides us being consumed by darkness ourselves. So that's why we must really pick up our cross and really stand boldly because there are people who really need us. Y'all know the suicide rate now. Y'all see everything that's going on. Believe it or not, it's just from the basic things that we are being fed in our mind and heart every day in the confusion about who God is and who we are. All right. So verse 15 says, what harmony can there be between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So harmony is the agreement, accord, harmonious relations, a consistent, orderly, and pleasing arrangement of parts, unity, peace, friendship. Harmony sound real good. That's what we got, right? That's what we got. He states that there is no harmony between Christ and Satan through posing this question. We're talking about enemies here. 
We're talking about opposite sides. No agreement, a war in the spirit. See, this is why it's difficult to have a relationship of harmony with an unbeliever. It's difficult to have consistency, order, feel pleasing, have peace, walk in unity, produce a real friendship without it. So normally we unite because of what we have in common, right? Well, you're common, so it's gotta be Jesus. Sometimes we live as if we do not really know him. So the enemy sends people that connect with other parts that are still in us. What Pastor always say, he comes for what's in you. He comes for what's in you. <laughs> this is how we get tripped up. If we are full in Christ and our habits align with that, it would be the discussion, the plan, the servitude, the kingdom lifestyle that comes forth. So before you come into agreement into any bond, you must first know that you both believe in the Savior and live according to his purpose. All right. Whew. Got the hard stuff out the way. Y'all, we have to look at the hard scriptures sometimes. Do we believe the word? We got to believe in order for us to chew the meat. If you cannot believe, you will not have no teeth for that meat. <laughs> All right? So you got to believe first because it's timeless. We're just in a point in time where we're taught whatever by whatever generation we're in. And uh, right now we're in a generation of lawlessness. And so we're going to go back to Philippians 1. And when he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He thanking God for remembering you. He thanking God for his remembrance of you. Are we remembering each other? And then when we remember, do we say, oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for letting me think about Frida today. I thank you. So a simple line in one study can bring the reality of how our mind should be working, but it's not. So do you ever ask yourself, do I thank God for that? I mean, we thank God for the things that we really like. We thank God for the stuff that make us really feel good. But do we thank God that I remember you. I, rem I, I remember you. Like you, you came upon my mind and my heart. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. So this scripture, I'm going to go back to what I wrote so you can see where my head was at. This scripture alone is very intimate in its tone. When Paul thanks God in his remembrance, it's a reminder that as he recalls all in which he remembers, he goes into thanksgiving. This delight has to be because the thoughts were pleasing. He has seen the working of God through their life, which caused him to go into thanksgiving. So when we think about our brother and sister, do our mind first go to what we think they're not doing right? 
Or do we think about what God has already done for their lives and how far they come? I would encourage us to think about what God has already done and what he's doing with them. Because the word does say that he'll work you to completion, right? Mm-hmm. So what are, our, what are our thoughts of each other? What are they? What are you be thinking? What y'all be thinking about me, man? <laughs> Do we praise God for the works he has done in each other's lives? Sometimes I feel like we pick each other apart more than what we show Thanksgiving. How do we really rejoice for each other's opportunity to have salvation? Yeah, that's the one. Like, let's put all things aside. Life and eternity? We should be hyped about that every day. Like, ooh. We about to go to eternity. Ooh, don't slip. Come on, we got eternity. Don't slip. Don't slip. I got you. Don't slip. Come on, let's go. But no, we'd be like, mm, I don't know, because we're supposed to be doing this and doing that and blah, 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 blah. We don't technically say you going to hell, but <laughs> we don't come into a place of excitement of in making sure that we're picking each other up to make it to eternity. We should even be thankful in our thoughts of each other when things don't go so well because we know that God can still work out things for the good of those who love him. So as I see you sitting before me, I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. In verse four, in every prayer of mine, I always make an entreaty and petition for you all with joy and delight. Wow. He says in every prayer of his. Every prayer? Every prayer? Key word. Every. <laughs> this means that he does not stop his request for others. He makes an entreaty and petition. We cannot grow weary in this. An entreaty, an earnest and humble request. I like the way that sounds because it shares really what our heart should be. Y'all give me a second because I can see my laptop is about to go dead, but I got my paper notes. Hold on. It's right here. And it just shut down. All right. Staying ready. Thank you, Brandy. So when you say an earnest and humble request, you ever had that time? <laughs> Were you praying, but you kind of like frustrated? And you really want this person to get it? And you like, Lord, do this and do that and make sure they blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's like you got this passion behind it, but the passion behind it is it's not necessarily the right heart. <laughs> so when it says an earnest and humble request, 
it's that reminder that this can be me. This could be me. And your mercy has kept me. Please share the same thing upon them. Please guide them in the same way. Please show, me, show them all of who you are and what it is that you have for them. The, the prayer should be a humble request, a serious and urgent request. That's love. A petition, a formal written request made to an official person or organized body, something asked or requested. Paul did his request with joy. I said, why? <laughs> I think this is because he believed what he prayed. Also because he prayed God's promises, which is in his word read to be manifested. Maybe because he can make the request due to his submission of his own life. So when we pray with joy, it's usually because we have already seen God do what he does. So there's a, there's a sense of excitement because you believe. You believe. So you, you, you're praying with, with joy, like, yes, Lord, like, I'm going to watch you do it. I know that you can do it. You say you do what you do. So I thought to myself, do I pray in joy? Hmm. I don't think so. You know, I really thought about it. Like, y'all know I cry. I cry. <laughs> They laughing at me, but they know. And sometimes my prayers kind of have like a, like a, that's hard to explain. But anyway, I'm checking myself. You check yourself, okay? <laughs> so I needed to consider where my mind is when I'm in prayer. Because I should be excited about the request. I should be in high expectation. I should be in a place of, of joy because I get the opportunity to pray to the living God. How about that? Like, just that alone. I mean, do I really pray in full expectation? Do you? Do you? Just like Pastor was saying, he expected that blood pressure to go on down as he prayed in the spirit. The full expectation. He could have been in the corner crying like, oh, no, they could give me all of this stuff and all of this stuff. Da, 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 da. But no, he knew what he had to do. My God. Look, this is how I write. My God. <laughs> this is about to change the game in my prayer life. I need to be in great expectation, authority, and pure joy in my prayers. I need not be in occasional disposition, but it need to be constant. Do I believe or don't I believe? This also reveals your faith level, how you pray, or if you even pray at all. be someone who does pray there is some faith but you must believe the reason why I'm able to get out of the bed times where I can't walk is because I believe that I'm not going to stay there I believe that I'm going to be like 
teaching and running and jumping all over again. So I just be like, oh, well, must be time to keep still for a little bit. And I just wait. Guess what I can do when I can't walk? I can pray. I can pray. I got more time to pray. So a lot of praying gets done when I'm sick. And most of the time, it's prayers that go out to people who are sick. And they don't have the resources I have, the love that I have, the people that I have. There are people who are very sick, and they're still going through torment in every other way, every other manner. No help, no person that cares, no one that is praying for them, no one around. And they don't even have an opportunity, don't have insurance, can't get what they need, can't get anything. We must pray. And I really believe that God do not want me to forget them. He don't which is why I go through that pain, to remind myself that there's people that's hurting. Verse 5, I thank my God for your fellowship, your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership in advancing the good news, the gospel, from the first day you heard it until now. <laughs> I like this verse because He's speaking so intimately, and I laugh to myself. It's because this is how my heart wants to talk all the time. But it tends to make people feel awkward, and I get teased about it. Y'all know I'm the one that goes, I'm feeling really sentimental right now. This is so beautiful. I realize that sharing my sweet thoughts it's not weird, but it's biblical. It's biblical. So I'm not afraid about it anymore. I just realized that it's just not enough of it for people to accept it as what it is. People just need to hear more things like that. But this is how Paul expressed himself. It's a releasing of God's love through my heart. Paul is thanking God again for his fellowship. I feel like this when we gather at ministry because we get to learn and develop together in the ways of God. When he discussed the cooperation of sharing the good news, he mentions from the first day until now. This shows me that it should never stop and each day should bring new memories, which we become more thankful for. So we've already accumulated some memories here, different things that have happened different things, places that we've been, deliverance that has happened in this place. Do we reflect and thank God? I know a lot of us always ask, how did we get here? This place teaches the truth. How did I get here? So from that very day, our experiences with each other, it should bring us closer. Paul really sounds excited to work with the believers. Y'all excited to do this work? <laughs> I believe that this goes along with the goal of what we're even trying to do on the strategic prayer team. Shout out to the strategic prayer team. We had our meeting tonight. We're trying to get this prayer on. Excitement to work together, prayers for each other, love amongst one another, and being in sympathetic cooperation. All right? Verse 6. 
And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who begins a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing the good work and perfecting and bringing it into full completion in you. I had to say it like that, right? Because that's one of my favorite scriptures. <laughs> I had to say it all hard and strong. It's one of my favorites. I studied this one before, but I wanted to review it in new eyes. I asked myself, why do I love this scripture? When he said he is convinced and sure, oh, that's just bold, confident, and totally all in with his thoughts towards one another. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's how I saw it. I am convinced. What are you convinced about? A lot of times we convinced about the most negative thing ever. Like, I'm convinced that I'm never gonna get it. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm convinced that they're never going to see me. <laughs> Let me stop laughing, okay? <laughs> Let me pull it back. That's not funny. That's not funny. People's hearts really go through things like that. But it's just the point that we need to be convinced and sure of something else. We need to be convinced and sure about the word of God. Like really convinced, that's, that's what would change your life, being convinced and sure. So he's telling us that he's convinced and sure that he who begin a good work in you will continue. I see that Paul is confident in this, not because of the person, but because of who God is. What makes it pivotal, pivotal is hard up here. What makes it pivotal is the fact that he says, he who begins will continue. So it really just takes a person to start. Get started. The question is, what does start look like? What, what, what does start look like? Because sometimes we think we started, but we didn't start. So... I, I, said, I sat and I let Holy Spirit speak, and I said, I would describe the great work in you as the change of heart and that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit begins to address your flesh with convictions that were not there before. Then as you comply, you develop. And then it continues. As you begin to make decisions according to your convictions, it then makes you perfect. Let me say that one more time. I would describe this start of the great work in you as the change of heart and the indwelling of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit begins to address your flesh with convictions that were not there before. Then as you comply, keyword, as you comply, you develop. As you develop, 
It continues. As you begin to make decisions according to those convictions, it makes you perfect. Pastor says, being perfect is just making wise decisions according to the spirit. Y'all heard him say that before? You know, we hear things, but it's like, how do we connect into them? What came out of that took me right to what Pastor said. <laughs> and I began to understand. So he is bringing you to this perfection all because you started. You opened your heart to have Holy Spirit. Completion. Having all the necessary parts, elements, or steps. Highly proficient to bring to an end and especially into a perfected state, to make whole and perfect. God wants to make us whole and set apart. He wants us to be the manifestation of our identity in him. We should consistently be growing in God. Amen. Verse seven, somebody better stop me at my time. I'm just saying, I come like pastor with like 11 pages. It is right and appropriate. For me to have this confidence and feel this way about you all because you have me in your heart and I hold you in my heart as partakers and sharers, one and all with me of grace, God's unmerited favor, spiritual blessings. This is true both when I'm shut up in prison and when I'm out in defense and confirmation of the good news, the gospel. Not only does Paul have confidence, he's going to let you know that it's right. The spirit of boldness. I love it. Then he clearly explains why. Having each other's in, having each other in each other's heart. That is a care that you have with those who are truly partakers in God's grace and unmerited favor. Believers should have a true connection because of their knowledge in him, which should bring a spiritual comfort that goes beyond what can be recognized in the flesh. Did y'all catch that? I feel like you didn't. Mm. I felt that. <laughs> Jesus. Believers should have a true connection because of their knowledge in him, which should bring a spiritual comfort that goes beyond what could be recognized in the flesh, which means that my connection with you is not one that's through the flesh, but one of the spirit, which goes deeper, that it can't even be recognized in the flesh. It's operating on a higher level. That's some power, y'all. That's, that's, that's some power. Then he says, it can be when he is in prison and when he is out defending the gospel. Hmm. This is deeper than what it seems right here. It's easy to glaze over it, but this should show us how much we need to know that other believers are staying strong under persecution because you are all in full knowledge of the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he did. There should be an assurance when you know that we all have to make this choice together 
up against all odds. There should be a connection through the blood that makes you boldly stand for him, knowing that you are not alone in this boldness. It's just beautiful all the way around. Then I said, bump Romeo and Juliet. I'm on that Christ and his church. Romeo and Juliet died for each other because they loved each other so much. There's a, there's a passion in that. I mean, story made history. But Jesus died for us. I know, they, they did suicide. What are we really standing for? Are we really standing? Are we kind of like just sitting down, <laughs> chilling? <laughs> Verse 8, for God is my witness how I long for and pursue you all with love and the tender mercy of Christ Jesus himself. Jesus. He puts it on God that he is truly pursue, pursuing love. Should this not, should we not want to have this desperate love for one another? I'm looking out into the room and when I think about this desperate love, I realize that I still don't know a lot of you. Well, I know you from here and there, but I don't know you very well. That has to change. One in which changes the scope of what it really means to believe. What, what did I say right there? Mm, we're going to go past that. I love how Paul was very open about expressing his love. Then he even speaks about it being in tender mercy. How beautiful. This is exactly how we should be operating. Tender. Where the tender folks at? Yeah. <laughs> Marked by responding to or expressing the softer emotions. <laughs> Showing care. Don't be laughing, roommates. Y'all know it's biblical. <laughs> Highly susceptible to impressions or emotions. Demanding careful and sensitive handling. Delicate or soft in quality or tone. I'm talking about the tender mercy. Mm-hmm. So when you have mercy, that mercy shouldn't be like, I'm going to let you go by this time. I'm going to let you get past it this time. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it feels like, right? But it should be tender. It should have a care. It should be handled uh, very carefully uh, with a sensitive heart, knowing that this is something that it's almost like you're carrying something very, um, something that can kind of poke you like a broken glass and you're taking it to God to fix. So you gotta be careful with the parts because it's already broken. But you're, you're carrying it to God because you're interceding. And you let him fix it. We can't keep looking at things like, you done got all broken, what the heck? I ain't picking up this glass no more. <laughs> We got to change the way we look at it. Mercy, lenient or compassionate treatment 
a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. Compassionate treatment for those in distress. Where is our compassion? We gotta be compassionate. We need more of this. I just know that I'm really about to level up my love, which I know is a choice, right? But with that choice, we must find out exactly how it should operate. So you can choose every part of that operation to be a part of you. How's my time? I'm up? Okay. Listen, we are gonna slow down right here. But Pastor, I just gotta get this last one out. It's important. Look, I'm doing just like <laughs> Y'all still awake, right? Y'all, y'all doing all right. This verse is, is just the closing verse. I'm not even gonna go to 11, but we gotta do nine. We gotta do nine. Gabby called me PJ, Pastor Junior. <laughs> and this I pray that you love that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development and knowledge and all keen insight. That your love may display itself in greater depth and acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment. We had to get to this verse because loving each other is what's going to actually give us sight to see and actually know exactly what we need to do for this ministry. So Paul then states this prayer. So this is how we need to pray for each other, that our love is growing abounding. The scripture shows that love that is abounding and that is extended in full development actually produces knowledge, insight, and discernment. So when you think about all love is, 1 Corinthians 13, which can only truly be accomplished by the spirit, lacking in any of it, will cause you not to have insight. It will dim your discernment. What a great reason to hasten to love, right? I'm gonna end it right there. <laughs>